Hey detective, welcome to the Nancy Drew Rendezvous, a podcast where we take a chronological look at all the books in the Nancy Drew file series. I'm your host Teagues and today's episode is case 43, False Impressions. I swear, every time I start a new episode, I'm always shocked that we're this far through the series. Like it's almost like... I don't know, math isn't my strong suit, but like we've got less than 100 books to go. We've got less than 80 books to go. It's just, yeah, wild to me. So a detective emailed me this week and told me about another Nancy Drew Files podcast called Romancing Nancy Drew. It's not like specifically about the files, but she loves the files just as much as I do. Her name is Nancy Nickerson. Uh, that name you might remember from Wings of Fear, amongst other books. It's like a name that Nancy uses from time to time when she wants to keep on the down low. Uh, yeah, like, anyway, I discovered her podcast and I absolutely love her to pieces. So I highly recommend you all check her out. I'm determined to do a show or two with her. Like I be on her show and she be on my show. Like we've just got to work out the logistics. So yeah, if you love the files as much as I do, which I guess you do because you listen to this podcast, I highly recommend that you check out Romancing Nancy Drew. Uh, just a word of warning, she is very snarky and very sweary. So if you're not a fan of excessive profanity, then uh, maybe give it a miss. But if you can look past that, it's, yeah, a lot of the times what she's saying is what's going through my head when I read these books. And yeah, she's just, okay, I'm going to shut up about it. She's amazing. I love her. Go check her out. So let's get into the book, starting off with the events that happened in January 1990. We've hit a new decade. We've reached the 90s, baby. So events of note include Douglas Wilder becoming the first elected African-American governor as he takes office in Richmond, Virginia. This absolutely shocked me. I can't believe it took to the 1990s to get an African-American governor. Um, I'm not going to get political on this podcast. That is just, I, I was absolutely shocked when I read that. Um, and in more, I guess, not so social conscious based news, the first McDonald's opened up in the Soviet Union, as it was known back then in Moscow. So that's a sure sign that the Cold War is slowly ending. The fact that an American company just, you know, opens up shop there. Um, another interesting thing to note is that like eight months later, the first McDonald's opened up in China, in Shanghai, again, I just assumed that Macca's, as we call it in Australia, like was open everywhere all the time. The first Macca's opened in Australia in 1972. So I think, I guess that's why I just thought it was, you know, over, like, you know, they were in every country from, you know, the beginning of time pretty much. Um, as for the movies that came out, I was going through the list. There is so many, like, probably D grade or Z grade movies that I'd never heard of. The only like slight movie that I had heard of um, from the list was Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. And to be 100% honest with you, I had like no idea that there was a third Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, and as for the Billboard Top 100, Phil Collins is still up there with Another Day in Paradise 
And then during the end of the month, he gets joined by Michael Bolton's with How Am I Supposed to Live Without You? Two absolute bangers, if I don't say so myself. They were huge tracks back in the day. All right, right now, I feel like a radio DJ on like a commercial, like pop music radio station. I just, I don't know, I'm recording at night. It's a Friday night right now. And maybe I'm just in that whole I don't know, let's party like mood. Although like I never go out and party. I uh, stay home and play video games or read books. So on the cover of False Impressions, Nancy is blonde. She has been blonde for the last couple of books. I think like the last book that she was actually a strawberry blonde was 36 over the edge. And her and Ned are on the front cover and they're in big puffy parkas, like it's like coat. Um, We call them parkas in Australia. You might call them snow jackets there. Nancy is in the background, like staring at a light. I actually have no idea what this scene could be from. Um, And then in the front, we've got Nancy like looking annoyed after reading a newspaper and we've got Ned who looks like the prettiest boy ever um standing behind Nancy and he's just like hmm what are you reading about he looks like the thinking face emoji I don't know Ned does not look what I look like what I imagined Ned to look like on this cover I mean it's an all right cover it tells us literally nothing about the book (laughs) as per usual And baby, it is cold outside. This book takes place in like December or something. It was cold in the previous book as well. So I like that there's that little bit of continuality. Um, Yeah, the snow is like falling super, super heavy. And Ned is home on a semester break and he's hanging out at the Drew residence with Bess and George and Hannah as well. They're having a movie night. Ned is actually like saying sorry to Nancy because they were supposed to go to a party in Bedford. And like, this is the second time that Bedford has been mentioned in the series. The first time was in uh, Secrets Can Kill, the first book. Uh, Nancy went to Bedford High and did a case there. So again, there's not much continuity in this book, but I like when they do do throwbacks. It's quite possible that this book had the same ghostwriter as Secrets Could Kill did. Anyway, Nancy and Ned are doing a whole bunch of making out, um, even though they've got guests over, which I find absolutely rude. However, I have been guilty of doing that in the past. Uh, The movie that they decide to watch features Lucinda Prado. Now, Detective, can you remember which book Lucinda was in? If you remembered Trouble in Tahiti, you'd be correct. What an awesome throwback. Again, there's rarely continuity, but we've got two throwbacks already in the first book. So in Trouble in Tahiti, uh, Nancy was in Tahiti investigating this woman's death. Um, And yeah, this movie, I can't remember if I just said it, but this movie was the last movie that she filmed before she got killed. Um... I also really like that Hannah joined in, like, to watch the movie with them. Uh, Like, you know, she did her usual supplying them with hot chocolate and popcorn, but it was just nice to see Hannah relaxing. Anyway, so this movie follows Linda... Lucinda rather Prado who is playing a lawyer whose daughter was accused of a crime she hadn't committed Um, and then with the help of a young police officer who fell in love with her daughter Prado Lucinda Prado was able to prove her child's innocent and track down the real culprit that movie sounds boring to me and I wouldn't watch it 
And spoiler alert, this book is pretty similar to that movie. So it's a bit of foreshadowing. Um, also, I don't know if this has been mentioned before, but we learned that George is five foot seven. So she's the same height as Nancy. Um, the reason why we know this is because the book mentions that George is three inches taller than Bess, and we know that Bess is five foot three. So I always imagine Bess to be smaller, but she's like what I feel is an average height for a woman. So having, having said that, I'm like five, just over five foot. So anything taller than me is average. Um, another the cute thing that we learn in this book is that Bess sits on her legs and like, so afterwards she had to like shake them out because they fell asleep. And I do that as well. Right now I'm sitting at a desk, but I'm sitting on my feet cold, curled up in a little bowl with an electric blanket wrapped around me because it's the middle of winter and it's freezing. Um, so yeah, I just like learning that little tidbit about Bess. The movie ends and it's time for Ned, Bess and George to head home and the book keeps on mentioning how heavy the snow is. Um, I guess like this might be a prelude to somebody sliding off the road because it was super icy. I don't know. If they mention something a lot of times, it's usually relevant to the story. Uh, Bess mentions that she's worried about Carson driving home in the snow because we learned that he's staying in Chicago a few days assisting the DA on some super serious fraud charge case. So yeah, Carson is uh, working hard. <laughs> Just as they go to leave, however, Chief McGuinness, the chief of River Heights Police Station, who is in most of the books, he's like our resident chief. <laughs> uh, yeah, he knocks on the door with a cop from the Mapleton Police Station, a policeman called Pete Kowalski. And come on, detective, what do we know about Mapleton? Drum roll. Mapleton is the town where Ned lives. I think we first learned that in this series, Until Death Do Us Part. Um, maybe. I, I can't be 100% sure. So the cops come inside and Lieutenant Kowalski pulls out a warrant and tells Nancy that she's under arrest. Uh, excuse me, May, what on earth? No one arrests my girl Nancy. There must be some sort of mistake, but there isn't. And Lieutenant Kowalski reads Nancy her rights, but it's not until after she reads her right does she learn that she's being arrested for extortion. Uh, okay, forgive me if I'm wrong. Don't they usually say, uh, Mr. Jones, you're under arrest for the murder of Mrs. Jones. You have the right to remain silent, blah, 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 blah. So it's like interesting that they just say, hey, you're under arrest. Don't tell her what for. Reads her rights. And then she's like, uh, what am I under arrest for? It's just, <laughs> of course, Nancy tells them that they're making a mistake and the cop's like, I don't make many. Well, dude, you're going to have egg on your face by the end of this book, I'm sure, because Nancy ain't done nothing wrong. She would never do such a thing. Like the only crime that Nancy commits is like breaking and entering, <laughs> like extortion. Yeah, nah. They don't handcuff her, so she gets an opportunity to like hug everybody and say, it's going to be okay. It's not going to, it's going to be okay. Don't worry. And then she gets taken down to the Mapleton police headquarters. Ned tells Hannah to call Carson and get him to meet them at the station. Uh, Carson is not going to get to River Heights to diet because one, he's like staying a couple of more days and it's super snowy. So he just can't rush back. Chicago is at least like an hour drive away. 
On the way, Lieutenant Kowalski tells Nancy that they've received two formal complaints from people in Mapleton, both claiming that a private eye conned them out of thousands of dollars. They said the person's name was Nancy Drew and their description matches Nancy to a T, hence the ease of getting a warrant for her arrest. Nancy's like well known in the area, so people can easily frame her. So like, I guess this, you know, crime is not out of the realm of possibility. Nancy thankfully knows not to say too much without a lawyer present, so drops the conversation. She gets there, she gets the whole kit of caboodle, mugshot, fingerprints, sticks, etc. And then immediately she's placed in a lineup. I watch a lot of SVU and like they don't just pull people in that quickly. This is happening in a matter of like an hour. Two people come in to try and identify her, a fancy looking short man in his 50s with thinning hair and a moustache and also an attractive raven haired lady. Why can they never say black hair? Why is it always raven hair? Anyway, she's in her 30s dressed in a mink coat and has sparkling earrings. It makes sense that like if you were going to extort anyone, you would want to extort someone who's rich. Uh, the man's name is Mr. Elkland and he can't identify Nancy from the lineup. The woman, Mrs. Hackney, however, does recognize Nancy and points her out. However, Mr. Kowalski notices that the lady isn't wearing her glasses, which is just plain weird. Like why would he remember that she wore glasses? Um, anyway, because she's not like wearing her girl glasses, he asks like the lady, oh, what color are Nancy's eyes? And she guesses wrong. She says like green when Nancy has blue eyes. So they can't make a positive ID of Nancy. She's free to go. I, like what on earth was all that about? Like, okay, now I want to know who is pretending to be Nancy. Well, I guess there's only one way out. Nancy needs to get on the case. Once they arrive home, Hannah lets Nancy know the roads are closed due to the snow and Carson will return home in the morning. A big surprise there. Nancy heads straight to bed. She wakes up super early in the morning and she hears noises outside and goes to investigate, only to find our favourite reporter, Brenda Carlton, and a photographer called Sam. Like, what on earth, what is Brenda doing around sneaking in the snow, wearing high heels, mind you, at 6am in the morning? Why, of course, she's getting the latest scoop to report in the today's time. Her father had told her that Nancy had been charged with extortion. Nancy gives Brenda a legal lesson and teaches her the difference between arrested and charged and to make sure she gets it right. Otherwise, the Today Times might face a libel lawsuit. Nancy really does know her laws. I guess Carson taught her well, like through the years. Brenda has come in handy though. Brenda, being the snoop, knows all about what has happened. Turns out that her father, Frank, was at the Mapleton Country Club. I wonder why he was at the Mapleton Country Club and not the River Heights Country Club, since we know the Carltons live in River Heights in like the ridge area on top of the cliff, or maybe I'm just mistaken. Anyway, Mrs. Hackney had told Mr. Carlton that someone had put firecrackers under the hood of her car, and after they exploded, she found a note that read, Dear Mrs. Hackney, enjoy the boom. It could just have easily been a grenade. We'll start the bidding at 10000 Have the money available in small bills. I'll be in touch. Don't even think about going to the police or next time this will be a real dynamite. Okay, this person means serious business and I guess Miss Hackney was a target because she's rich. However, the person that left the note never got back in touch with her, which is weird. It's like, okay, why say, give me money and then don't organize a way to get the money? Hmm. 
A week or so later, Mrs. Hackney is at the country club and overhears a redhead lady talking on the phone saying, I'll nail this extortionist soon. Just leave it to me, Nancy Drew. (laughs) Uh, Okay. (laughs) Who on earth talks like that? That feels like such an obvious trap. At work, though, Mr. Hackney knows Nancy. Well, of course, most people in the area do, and asked Nancy, or who she believed was Nancy, for her help. Fake Nancy agreed and told Miss Hackney to put 10k in a joint bank account. Joint with who? I have no idea. I assume, like, the account was joint with Nancy. They'll then wait for the extortionist to call and Mrs. Hackney would meet them out the front of the bank and then Nancy and the police would jump out and catch him. This plan seems like super dumb. Couldn't Mrs. Hackney just pretend that the money was in there? Why did she actually have to put it in there? Mrs. Hackney seems so dumb and I feel like she kind of deserves it for being so naive. But at the same time, she did think that the actual Nancy Drew was helping her and why wouldn't she trust her? After a week or so with no word from the extortionist, Mrs. Hackney goes to get her money back out of the bank only to find the majority of it gone. Nancy is actually well aware of this scam. It's called the split deposit scam. And I Googled it and yes, it's actually a real scam. So if you ever find yourself in this type of situation, don't, uh, yeah, don't fall for it. So Brenda finishes explaining everything and then, you know, being her usual snobby self is like, so did you do it, Nancy? And then Nancy gets all super smug and replies, "Uh, well, actually, I want to know who Nancy was talking to before Mrs. Hackney approached her and then wonders to herself if this Nancy like this fake Nancy rather had an accomplice. Brenda's bored of standing around in the snow at 6am and then just leaves telling Nancy, by this time tomorrow, everyone's going to know that Nancy Drew, famous girl detective, is nothing more than a criminal. Yep. Brenda also seems ready to get egg on her face. Feels like egg on their face is my catchphrase of the episode. I've said it twice already. Nancy tries her best to convince Brenda not to run the story to no avail. I wouldn't either. It's a pretty good exclusive. Back in the day, you needed these exclusive stories in order to sell advertising. These days, you just post a clickbaity headline and then show potential advertisers your click-through rate and it's dollar, dollar, dollar signs. So Nancy heads back inside to get warm and then Carson comes home and he and Nancy cook a big breakfast of sausages, fried eggs and toast actually on their own. So yeah, remember it's just after six o'clock and these two are cooking for themselves. They didn't want to wake Hannah, which I found was a lovely thing to do. Hannah does need her sleep in. She works super hard when she's not out visiting her friends, which she seems to do a lot as well. Nancy's super stressed that her reputation is going to get ruined, but Carson assures her that it's going to be okay and they'll do all they can. He then fills her in on his case in Chicago. The DA had asked Carson's help to build a case against some con brothers who scammed a bunch of businesses out of thousands of dollars. They managed to convict two of the three brothers who both received five years jail time and the third brother got off scot-free due to the lack of evidence. Although he's gotten off, he's like super, super mad. He wants like all of, all three of them to be free and he's 
threaten Carlton by saying, I've hurt people for my brothers and I'll do it again. And yeah, said that he'll go after the people that Carson love. Okay, so this is an interesting twist. Maybe these brothers are involved in the extortion that Nancy is being accused of. It would definitely be an interesting way of getting back at Carson. Carson tells Nancy that he wants her to get out of town because he's worried for Nancy's safety, um, but she can't because Mr. Detective Lieutenant, whatever his name was, Kowalski, told her that she has to stay close because she's under investigation. Um, You know how Lucinda Prado from Trouble in Tahiti was mentioned in the beginning? Carson actually suggests that Nancy go and stay with Bree, who is Lucinda's daughter and now lives in L.A. Um, So I think that's why they mentioned Lucinda at the start of the book, because, you know, that's the person Carson suggested she go stay with. But then, like, Nancy has, like, an aunt or something in New York. Why doesn't she just go and stay with her? That would be a much better idea. Ned then calls and invites Nancy to breakfast at Happy Pancake, which is on the road between Mapleton and River Heights. So I'll add that to the directory. Nancy also invites Bess and George too, because she needs help to start working on the case. I don't think Nancy actually has a second breakfast, so I think she just goes there and has a cup of tea. Ned has pancakes and George and Bess have donuts and tea, uh, which is weird that they're drinking tea. (laughs) I don't think, oh, I guess it's not weird. They've had it a few times, but I, I don't know. When they have hot drinks, it's either coffee or hot chocolate. Tea just seems a bit weird. And I feel like Americans don't really drink tea. It's more of like a British and Australian thing. I don't know. If I'm wrong, tell me otherwise. Nancy fills them all in on what she's learned from Brenda and because Ned's from Mapleton, he knows Mr. Eckland and tells them that he owns a jewelry store downtown and they're going to head off and pay him a visit. It's one of those fancy by appointment only jewelry shops and I, I would never go into one of those shops. It just seems so pretentious. Mr. Eklund is with a client, but when he sees Nancy, he begins to freak out and believes that Bess is a fifth, and he screams at Nancy, asking why she's not in jail, and then his client pulls out a gun and points it at Nancy. Turns out that the man with Mr. Eklund wasn't actually a client, but he's like an armed jewelry delivery person. Thankfully, Nancy manages to talk her way out of being shot because you know if she was guilty why would she come and like face him face to face anyway um so mr eckland in his confusion told nancy that while the person looked like nancy they actually appeared older and more astute he didn't make a positive identification at the police station as he couldn't be a hundred percent sure despite mrs hackney insisting it was the nancy drew Uh, Yeah, so he saw her in the dark when he was working in the record room at the Mapleton Country Club. Um, And then he realizes that he said too much and that he shouldn't be talking to them as there's an ongoing police investigation, which means that Mrs. Hackney won't talk to them either. So what do they do? They decide to dress up as bankers and pretend to be from the bank where Mrs. Hackney deposited her money. Oh my gosh, this is super legal and doesn't help Nancy at all. In fact, it makes her look worse by lying about who she is. Like, honestly, dumbest idea. Actually, if they pretended to be cops, it would be worse, but this is definitely up there. So 
Nancy herself isn't going to pretend to be a banker. She's going to get Bess and, no, sorry, not Bess, George and Ned to do the work. So they go shopping and get fancy business clothes to dress up as bankers. They drive to Mrs. Hackney's house and while driving, Nancy coaches them on what to say. Suddenly, a station wagon comes speeding towards them. Nancy tries to brake, but the road is icy and she spins into the opposite lane. What did I tell you? I knew that like the snow would play some sort of part in the book and a road is going to be icy causing Nancy to like crash or whatever. Um, when she speed, like when she spins into the opposite lane, the car doesn't stop and keeps heading towards Nancy. Thankfully, she pulls out her amazing NASCAR driving skills and avoids the station wagon and it drives off. Nancy catches a look at the driver. It's a man in his early twenties with a sharp nose, high cheekbones and curly brown hair. I know it sounds hot to me. (laughs) I feel like this is just a coincidence. I don't think this person was actually out to get Nancy Drew. They were just in a rush, but I don't know who the person could be. Maybe Joseph Kane, Crane. I can't remember their names. Regardless, if it was intentional, I think it might be the guy who Carson put in jail's brothers who said that he was going to get Nancy. I don't know, this whole brother thing is an interesting subplot. I wonder if they're actually involved in this extortion thing. If so, the timing feels off. Like, wouldn't the extortion be happening while the brothers were in jail awaiting trial, unless they were out on bond or bail or whatever? Ned and George then head to Mrs. Hackney's house to question her, but her maids tell them that she's not home. She's out with her new boyfriend, Barry Atkin, who she met at the country club. He's dark-haired, younger, and good-looking. Hmm, maybe this Barry is the brother using a fake name? Right now, I've got really no idea who's behind all this this whole scam. Like, this book is weird. Actually, now that I think about it, it would be funny if it was Teresa Montenegro from Deadly Doubles and Pure Poison. Teresa is the only person in these books that we've come across that looks a lot like Nancy. Nancy's next plan of attack is to check out the guest register at the Mapleton Country Club. She wants to see when this Nancy Drew person signed on and what name they used. Thankfully, Ned's family have a membership there and can get everybody in. I'm curious how Nancy is going to manage to steal this like guest register. I guess she only needs to take a quick glance at it. It won't be too hard to distract the receptionist or whatever. They stop at a gas station on the way there because Ned needs gas and then Nancy sees a copy of the Today Times with the headline, Nancy, did you do it? Detective question in extortion case by Brenda Carlton, Mapleton. Teen detective Nancy Drew was arrested last night in connection with two confidence games involving extortion threats. Both cases are currently being investigated by the Mapleton police. It was dark and snowy night when Nancy Drew, 18, of River Heights, was picked up by Lieutenant Peter Kowalski and brought to the Mapleton police station. All right, look, I'm no journalist, but I don't think the whole dark and stormy night part is really necessary in a news article. Like, that just seems weird to me. Regardless, it seems like everyone in town has seen the paper because Nancy is not allowed into the country club while she's under investigation. But Nancy needs to see this register really badly, so what's she going to do if she can't get into the club? Makes plans to break into it after it closes. Yes, break into the country club. 
Breaking and entering is a class three felony in Illinois. This is absolutely ridiculous. Surely she could have got Ned or George or even best to like go in and take a look at the register. Like, I'm just so mad that they come up with this plan. It's just stupid. Nancy's under investigation by the cops and then she commits a class three or plans to commit a class three felony. When Nancy eventually gets home, she is greeted by Lieutenant Kowalski and Officer Marullo, who show her a photo and asks Nancy if they recognize the person. It's the man from the station wagon that tried to run them off the road earlier, and we learn that he's dead, and not only is he dead, he had a piece of paper with Nancy's signature on the bottom of it. What what on earth is happening? This case is just ridiculous. I'm so confused. The officers interrogate Nancy after explaining that she was in Mapleton. He asks her if she was planning on intimidating witnesses. Um, and then Officer Morello wants to arrest Nancy, but Nancy was truthful and had an alibi for the time of the man's death, so they don't arrest her again. Like... Yeah, that's exactly what Nancy was doing in Mapleton. She wanted to talk to witnesses herself. And yeah, like maybe they could have arrested her instead of just giving her a small warning. They continue to ask her questions and then suddenly Nancy remembers her rights and refuses to answer any more questions unless they arrest her. Nancy, you know, just pulls out the law whenever it suits her. Um, They leave and Nancy is starting to panic. She's got all this evidence against her and she's really worried that she might end up in jail for extortion and now murder. But then she remembers that she's innocent and her father is the Carson Drew, so... She relaxes and is like, oh, yeah, I'll be fine. Nancy's super lucky to have a lawyer as a father. I mean, sure, he might be away on business a bunch, but it's good to know that you always have someone who can fight for you and for free because, as we all know, lawyers ain't cheap. Speaking of Carson, Nancy wants to sue the today's time for libel. However, everything that Brenda said is true and you can't sue because some readers might get a false impression from the article if their knowledge of the law isn't up to scratch. Um, And it was interesting that they use the term false impression because that is what the book is called. Anyway, Nancy's like really upset that she's like, oh, the general public don't know the difference between charged and arrested. My reputation's going to be ruined. My life is over, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't blame her. Yes, it's scary that everything that you've worked so hard for has been, you know, possibly flushed down the toilet. But again, Nancy, you know you're innocent. Carson Drew is your father. It's going to be fine. Bess and George are over for dinner um, and they discuss the case with Hannah and Carson. Nancy shares her hunch that Barry Atkins, you know, Mrs. Hackney's new boyfriend, might be the fake Nancy Drew's accomplice because of the timing. Carson said that it's weird an accomplice, an accomplice, I hate that word, um, would stay around after the crime, which is true. It's like, you know, you've extorted all this money out of someone. Why would you hang around town unless this man is trying to, you know, work his magic on Mrs. Hackney? Hmm. Another theory is that the accomplice was the dead man that also hit Nancy with the station wagon. The fake Nancy Drew could have killed him, making Nancy look like she killed him, and that would make Nancy even more of a suspect. And while the police were busy investigating Nancy Drew, um, like the 
extortionist and now murderer would have made an escape. Carson then wonders what I wondered. Could Barry Atkins actually be Joseph Kane? It sounds like something he would do. Turns out that Joseph Kane is known for split deposit schemes and he likes to prey on older women. And this Brian Atkins guy is with Mrs. Hackney. So yeah, it's quite, quite plausible. Um, remember earlier when I'm like, oh, wouldn't have he been in jail unless he was out on bail? Yeah, it turns out that he was out on bail. So he probably could have pulled off this extortion scam. Carson's like super worried about Nancy and he gets her to make a list of all the places she's been in the last two weeks. He'll need them to start building a case for Nancy. All right. Yeah, this is getting serious. So whoever's behind it all really knows their stuff. They do sound like career criminals. So yeah, again, this makes it more likely that Joseph Kane or Crane is uh, behind it all. Later that night, Ned and Nancy commit their class three felony and break into the Mapleton Country Club. Nancy even does some trick with aluminium foil to trip the alarm. Like, I can't get over it. This is so ridiculous. I'm sure Ned could easily go and take a look at the register. Once inside, Ned leads her to the record room. He knows where it is because his dad was on the membership committee last year. Oh my God, this makes it even easier for Ned just to check. I can't believe Ned isn't going to check. Instead, they're breaking in and, oh, this is this is the dumbest idea they have ever had. Regardless, Nancy is in there now and she goes through the member files. She comes across Brian Atkins. He was sponsored into the club by Mrs. Hackney and has given a guest membership to a woman called Andrea. There is also a photo and he certainly looks too old to be Joseph Crane. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's annoying because yeah, I could have sworn that Barry Atkins was Joseph Crane. So there goes that theory. Boo. Then Nancy goes through the guest register and finds no Nancy Drew. The imposter is using a different name. The book mentions Andrea's name um, again and that she's appeared on the register. So I'm like 100% sure that this random Andrea lady is going to be the fake Nancy Drew. Um, I think that Brian is the extortionist and Andrea is his accomplice. I don't know exactly why or how. That's just what I'm feeling in my bones. So what happens when Nancy is snooping in an office? She always almost gets busted. However, this time she's grabbed and strangled and warned, you have interfered for the last time, Nancy Drew. Nancy doesn't get a chance to see the attacker and she elbows him to get out of his grip and then she goes all kung fu on him and beats him up like a full-on fight scene from an action movie. The alarms start going off so Ned and Nancy make a run for it. Thankfully, the snow is heavy and it covers their tracks so the cops wouldn't find them. What luck. After all that excitement, they need to have a makeout session. And then Ned tells her that he wishes that she didn't take these risks and he doesn't know what he'll do if anything happened to her. Um, well, Ned, so many things happen to Nancy all the time uh, and it's nothing permanent. So don't worry, you'll be fine. If something happened to Nancy, there'll be no more books. Ned also tells Nancy that he saw someone else in the country club and it was a woman who was small and looked about 100 pounds. 
I love how they talk about the snow so much in this book, by the way. George and Bess were at a diner nearby waiting for them, and they figured that after the robbery or break-in that they would be cold, so they brought them uh, hot chocolates to warm them up, which is absolutely adorable. They then wonder if the woman Ned saw could be the Nancy Drew impersonator. I'm willing to bet it is. What do you think, detective? After such an eventful evening, Nancy sleeps in. Hannah makes her French toast when she wakes up and then Carson returns home from visiting at Chief McGuinness. I guess Carson wanted to be like, you know, hey, you know, my daughter's not guilty. Help us out here. And Chief McGuinness would have been like, sorry, mate, I can't do that. Uh, This is a Mapleton police case, not a River Heights police case. Also, while he was there, he managed to get a photo of Joe Crane to show Nancy. When Nancy looks at the photo, she recognizes the man instantly. It's the now dead man who almost ran her off the road. Oh boy, plot twist. Why is Joe Crane dead? Who is after Joe? What on earth is happening? I really like all the weird twists in this book, although sometimes it's hard to keep track of everything. So I'm just going to like run through who is who so far. We've got Mr. Eckland, who is the extortion victim, and Mrs. Hackney, who is also an extortion victim. Then we have Brian Brian Atkins, who is Mrs. Hackney's boyfriend and who I think is a possible extortionist. We've got Joe Crane, the brother of the two men Carson put in jail. He's also the man who almost hit Nancy. He is now dead, um, and he was found with Nancy Drew's signature on a piece of paper, which looked as though it had been ripped off something, so maybe a registry. There is the man and woman who attacked Nancy at the Mapleton Country Club, There is the Andrea girl who is supposedly Brian's niece who was Brian's um, guest at the country club. We've got Lieutenant Kowalski and he is uh, the cop from Mapleton at PD who is investigating Nancy and really, really has it in from her, for her rather. Like he's just, yeah, he's insistent that she's guilty because he never makes mistakes. There's a knock at the door and Hannah goes to answer it and we hear Hannah being like super sassy saying, oh, what are you doing here again, blah, blah, blah. It's Lieutenant Kowalski. Um, He's there to tell Carson that Joseph Crane has been murdered and wanted to know Carson's alibi because as the DA or lawyer that helped put him his brothers behind bars. Carson isn't suspect. Thankfully, Carson has yeah a good alibi. He was at a bar meeting, and then Mister sorry Lieutenant Kowalski makes a comment that you know his alibi is better than Nancy. <laughs> like this guy is an absolute jerk to Nancy. And this causes Carson to absolutely crack it. He's sick of Nancy being treated this way and he's now treading on a thin legal line. Yeah, Carson, you get in there, you tell this man off for treating Nancy so badly. The lieutenant reminds Nancy to stay back and out of Mapleton. Nancy starts sulking and asks her dad if he can actually stop her from working on this case and he can. 
Nancy is super, super, super sulky. She's not used to being told what to do. Whenever Carson tells her to like stay off a case, she goes and does it anyway. But if a cop asks you to stay off the case, which they have done in like other books, you generally have to do it. But in this particular instance, when you are the main suspect, you definitely have to stay off the case. Now Nancy can't work on the case, she needs to work something else. So do you know what she does? She has the bright idea to dress up and impersonate Brenda. She figures no one will blink an eye at a reporter asking questions, which this is dumb. Like you're annoyed that someone has impersonated you, so now you're going to impersonate somebody else. What kind of logic is this? It makes no sense. Like, Nancy, you are literally in trouble because someone impersonated you. Do you want to get somebody else in trouble by impersonating them? Because we know, Nancy, you're not the most law-abiding citizen, and who knows, you might break the law impersonating Brenda, and then you're just as bad as, yeah, the person that impersonated you. I am so mad. I'm so, oh, this book is annoying me. However, I am impressed that Nancy, along with Bess and George, actually managed to pull off the transformation, which includes Nancy dyeing her hair dark. You know what I think? I think that they should have put dark-haired Nancy on the cover. However, if you had like not Nancy or somebody that doesn't look like Nancy on the cover, maybe it wouldn't help solve books. There is actually a Sweet Valley book where one of the twins dyes their hair and it was shown on the cover. And I remember being like, oh, what on earth is this? Is this like Lila or someone on the front cover? Maybe I should read the Sweet Valley books again. I know there's some Sweet Valley podcasts. I listen to a couple of them, but I kind of want to read the book and then listen to the episode, which is what a lot of detectives do. Uh, Lots of you read the book and then listen to the episode, which I really love. It's like we can share it together and I love hearing the opinions and whatnot. Anyways, Nancy has dyed her hair black. She's dressed in a black skirt with a white shirt, black high heels, and Brenda's signature plum lipstick. She's ready to rock. She's even got Brenda's slightly nasally voice and snooty, like, facial expressions down. Plum lipstick is, like, really hard to wear, by the way. I wonder what Brenda's coloring is. Is she pale and, like, sort of goth looking, or is she tanned? I've never really thought about it. To be honest with you, in my mind, Brenda Carlton looks like Angelina Jolie. Bess and George are tasked with staking out Brian Atkins' house while Nancy interviews Mr. Uckland and Mrs. Hackney. Mr. Uckland buys the disguise and tells Nancy everything. He was working late on some jewels and he heard a bang. He put the jewels in a safe and went to investigate. Someone had destroyed his alarm system with a firecracker. And when he came back, someone had left a note on the door saying... Hello, Uckland. Enjoy the boom. If you want to keep it from happening again, turn some of those stones into cash. I want $10,000. Otherwise, we'll see how well that wall stands up against dynamite. Oh, and just by the way, this note was made from cutout letters. That isn't a short note at all. This note would have taken an hour to make. This person clearly has a lot of time on their hands. He only heard from the extortionist by phone after that when he was working alone at night. The call said that 
he needed to have the money ready or that the walls are going to come, you know, tumbling down on his jewelry shop, which is, yeah, okay, he's got the money ready. Like, when are you going to ask to get the money? This extortionist sucks. He's like the worst extortionist ever. When asked why he got Nancy involved, it was because Nancy approached him in the club record room saying that she was working on the case. He had heard of her before, so he trusted her. And then for some reason, he checked the register to see who had let Nancy Drew into the club, but there was no record, which we already knew from Nancy's snooping. It turns out that the person at the front desk didn't see Nancy at the club either. So Nancy's name isn't on the register. The front desk's person didn't see Nancy. So maybe this person put on a disguise and was acting as Nancy for a small little while and then went like when they needed to to confront Mr. Ackland and Mrs. Hackney and then took the disguise off and acted as normal. Like that would be the only explanation because you don't get into a country club unless you sign in. Hmm. Okay. So at this point in the case, I'm thinking it's this mysterious Andrea lady. It would make sense. Like she's been at the club, but we haven't seen her and we don't know what she looks like just yet. Mr. Eckland said that he saw Nancy one other time and it was at a dance. And he also said that Andrea was at the dance at the same time. So there goes my theory. Well, there is my theory, like kind of proved that Andrea could have easily been Nancy Drew and just put the disguise on and off as necessary. All right, just to remind everybody that Mr. Uckland is like being so open with all this information because Nancy is dressed up as Brenda and he thinks that he's talking to Brenda, just in case we forgot, because I certainly forgot a couple of times. Then Nancy, dressed as Brenda, shows Mr. Uckland a photo of Jim Crane and Mr. Uckland recognizes him as a man called Andrew Carson, which is a nice play on the name Carson Drew. You know, honestly, I would never have picked that up. Once again, Nancy is a little bit smarter than me. Uh, We learned that this Jim McCain, a.k.a. Andrew Carson guy, was dancing with Andrea and they seemed to know each other. All right, so I'm a bit stumped. How does Jim know Andrea and why is he dead now? Next, Nancy goes to visit Ned to discuss the case And Ned needs to kiss her a million times to make sure that she's the real Nancy. I wonder if Ned likes Nancy as a brunette. I think Nancy would look super hot as a brunette with her uh, blue eyes and palish skin. Anyway, I'll stop, you know, trying to make Nancy something that she's not. Nancy tells Ned that her theory is that Crane came down from Chicago calling himself Andrew Carson, planning some sort of revenge against her dad. But... She doesn't know why he would have stayed in Mapleton, probably because he's got something to do with the impersonations. Otherwise, why would have he had that scrap of paper? Nancy needs more information, so she goes to talk to Mrs. Hackney to find out what happened or, or her side of the story. Um, and then you're never, ever, ever going to believe what happens next. Nancy asks Ned to check out the club register. Yes, they broke into the country club for no reason. Why didn't she do this in the first place? Ned could have just simply gone and checked the register. I'm so mad about this. This is the dumbest plot hole in the whole, like, Nancy Drew universe. (sighs) Okay, deep breath. I'm calm now. 
Still masquerading as Brenda, Nancy heads to the country club. The gatehouse attendant recognises her as Brenda and gives her a scoop. He lets her know that the club was broken into last night. You know, Brenda and Nancy should really work together. Brenda is really, really good at getting information just by being herself. Maybe there could be a spin-off series kind of akin to Killing Eve featuring Brenda Carlson and Nancy Drew. (laughs) I think that's great. Um, uh, Mrs. Hackney is on the squash court watching Barry and a brown-haired pretty girl play squash. (laughs) She tells Nancy to sit closer so that she can see her and then makes a comment about her glasses again. These glasses keep getting brought up. It's going to be important to the storyline, I feel, maybe. If Mr. Elkland only saw the fake Nancy doing the dark and Mrs. Hackney didn't have her glasses on, anyone could have pulled off being Nancy Drew. We learn that the brown-haired girl playing squash is the Andrea lady that we've heard so much about. Mrs. Hackney is a bit jealous of her. No idea why, though. She's supposed to be Brian's niece. Why would you be jealous of somebody's niece? Um, We learn that the day that Mrs. Hackney saw the fake Nancy Drew, she was talking to Brian. Um, and we learn that Nancy Drew was also helping Brian because he had been conned out of 20K. Yeah, all right, I'm convinced. Andrea has to be the fake Nancy Drew. Um, and I feel like Brian is pretending to be an extortionist victim to introduce the other victims to this fake Nancy Drew to push the scam further. I don't know the precise details, but this is my theory. I mean, it makes sense. They target country club folk because they're rich. Um, However, I've still got no idea where Joseph Crane comes into it. Maybe he blackmailed them so they killed him. Anyway, it gets more juicy. Brian told Mrs. Hackney that they should pool their money together to hire a PI, but she went to the cops instead, much to Brian's annoyance. Good on you, Mrs. Hackney. Don't be swayed by an attractive man who is dating you. They don't get to finish their conversation because Andrea and Brian come over and join them after they finish their game. Nancy feels as though Andrea looks a bit familiar, but she just can't place it. Hmm, maybe that's because she looks like you, Nancy. Like, again, I'm convinced Andrea is the fake Nancy Drew. What's also weird is that Andrea says that this is her first time at the club and then quickly corrects herself. She's looking even more guilty to me. Like this just points to Andrea. She's also an absolute cow telling Mrs. Hackney that she should play squash because it's good for keeping your weight down. It's like, just keep your mind or comments about other people's weight to yourself. It's none of your business. Everyone looks beautiful no matter what size they are. Just mind your own business. I hate people when they comment on other people's weight. Brian invites Nancy, who is still dressed as Brenda, by the way, inside for a soda and they chat. It turns out that Brian didn't tell the cops because he was embarrassed. Men and their egos. Also, it's not an ego thing here in this particular case. He didn't get scammed. I'm pretty sure he's the scammer as far as I'm concerned. He gets annoyed at Brenda asking all these questions and then he leaves. Then Ned starts yelling at Brenda, aka Nancy. He's furious that she's Brenda's printed this article about his girlfriend and it's all lies. However, this is just an act to like throw everybody off and to make Nancy's 
impersonation as Brenda more sincere. Ned then hands Nancy a piece of paper with notes of all the times that Mrs. Hackney, Brian Atkins, Andrea and Mr. Elkin were at the club. And for some comedic relief in the book, Nancy and Ned act like they're still fighting as they leave the club, just to, you know, really put the icing on the cake of the charade. Next, Nancy goes to the police station and the police officer recognizes Brenda and happily hands over the list of complaints made against Nancy Drew. Like, is this information public record? Can I just prance into a police station and ask for a list of complaints? Nancy and Brenda seem to have a lot of luck in this department. Um, and we learn from the cop that since Brenda ran the story, people from all over the county have been calling in. At first, when I first read this, I thought it said country and I was impressed that today's time had such a huge reach, but no, it's just the county. To no one's surprise, Brian Atkins' name isn't on the list. He didn't report his extortion, probably because it didn't actually happen. After comparing dates of the complaints and times that Atkins and Andrea were at the club, it clicks that Andrea is Nancy. And the night that everyone saw Nancy at the dance was just Andrea being in a disguise for a short amount of time, which is what I assumed. I mean, that makes sense. Nancy Drew was nowhere on the guest register, so it had to be someone dressing up as her. And yeah, it was Andrea. Nancy has a theory, but yet again, she doesn't share it with us, but to prove it, just needs to commit yet another class three felony. This time, she's going to break into Atkins' house to find some proof that they are the extortionists. She heads over and peeps in the window. Andrea is packing and pulls out a reddish blonde wig and a bunch of $100 bills. Bingo, there's the proof that we need. Not only that, Brian starts making out with her, calling her his wife. Oh, and their actual names are Leela and Neil Macklin. So Nancy's just sitting at the window, dressed as Brenda, of course, watching them talk. And by some crazy coincidence, they manage to confess and explain the entire crime in front of Nancy while she's sitting there. It's like, this is just, oh, this is ridiculous. The woodpile that Nancy's standing on to like look into the window collapses and Nancy tries to make a run for it before she gets caught. Unfortunately, Neil, aka Brian, confronts her with a gun, drags her inside and then Leela ties her up. Nancy's freaking the hell out. She needs to stall them. She's told Best George and Ned to come check on her if she's not back in 20 minutes. At least she, you know, had a backup plan. Unfortunately, she fails at stalling and is thrown into a car and they all drive off. They devise a plan to get Brenda's father, the publisher of the Today's Times, to pay a pretty penny to get his darling daughter back. I love how these two have been impersonating Nancy Drew, but they can't even tell that it's actually Nancy Drew, not Brenda, underneath the disguise that Nancy's wearing. <sighs> Again, yeah, this whole book is ridiculous. There's so many like uh, things that are annoying. So she's tied up and with nothing better to do, Nancy asks a bunch of questions because it's the end of the book and we need to close all the loopholes. So it turns out that they learnt about Nancy Drew after seeing her featured in a magazine and they figured that Andrea, a.k.a. Leela, or sorry, Leela, a.k.a. Andrea, would easily be able to impersonate her. Brian is with Beth Hackney for the long con. He wants to convince her to marry him, then they'll move to California, become residents, and then divorce. 
and he would take half her money because that's the law in California. And if she contests it, they will kill her. How can people rob other people of all their money? It's just so horrible. I'll never understand the greed that people have towards money and the terrible things that they do to receive it. So, all right, we know that these two were the impersonators and the fraudster and the extortionists, but, like, what about Joseph Crane? Like, where does he fit in? Well, it turns out that he rocked up in town to get Nancy Drew as payback to focus on putting his brothers in jails. However, when he was at the country club, he learned that Nancy was there, and so, of course, he had to introduce himself only to be faced with Leela, an old conferent from Chicago. He wanted in on their scams and threatened to dob them into the cops if they didn't oblige. Well, there was no way that Neil and Leela wanted to share their money, so they killed him. Yet again, framing Nancy for it. It was Leela and Neil in the club the night that Nancy and Ned broke in. Neil wanted his photo out of their files, I guess, to just, you know, clean up their tracks. So just a reminder that Nancy has been tied up this entire time with no luck getting loose. However, she somehow managed to open a suitcase and was able to fling the wig that was in the suitcase at Leela, which caused her to scream, which in turn distracted Neil. Nancy then kicked Leela in the head, which turned her unconscious and caused her to drop the gun. Neil then rushes for it and Nancy strangles Neil with her legs. He then takes his hand off the wheel and strangles Nancy until she kicks him into unconsciousness, but his foot is still on the pedal. Okay. I think this needs to go into like the top 10 most ridiculous situations Nancy finds herself in. Like, okay, I'm going to do a bonus episode very soon. It's like the top 10 near-death experiences or situations that Nancy's got herself in in the first 50 books. All right, hold me to it. If like I do case 50 and the next episode isn't a top 10 stupid situations bonus episode, just email me and yell at me until I do it. So now Nancy's managed to kick both of them into unconsciousness. She needs to figure out how to get Brian, aka Neil's foot off the pedal. Nancy just begins kicking him, but his foot doesn't get off the pedal. They're swerving all over the road and a truck is coming right for them. And not only that, the car is speeding up. So what does Nancy do? She steers the steering wheel with her feet because remember, she's still tied up at this point. She's only got her legs. She grabs the steering wheel with her feet and manages to turn the car and drive it into a snowfield. And then it, you know, stops because the snow stops it. So that's why they spoke about the snow because they needed something to stop the car. It all ties in eventually. Nancy stumbles out of the car. Ned, Bess and George, along with the Mapleton police, come to her rescue. Again, just a reminder that Nancy is still dressed up as Brenda and Lieutenant Kowalski is super impressed with Brenda's sleuth work and even shakes her hands. Little does he know that it's Nancy True. Like, I would keep that on the lowdown because you could get in serious trouble for impersonating someone, except Ned calls her Nancy in front of him and she starts to worry, but we always need a happy ending. And we get precisely that. 
Lieutenant Kowalski grins and apologizes to Nancy. Oh, for someone so serious about the upholding of the law, he's pretty chill that Nancy has, you know, again, ignored police orders. I guess if Nancy saves the day, they can't be mad at her. They joke that Nancy should write the report about this in the paper and they all laugh and joke about, you know, Nancy being Brenda and stealing Brenda's spotlight. And then Ned makes a joke that he doesn't want to date Brenda Carlton and they make out. And that's the end of the book. Oh, boy. I don't know what I think about this book. Like, I'm really annoyed at it just because Nancy is just an absolute idiot, breaks the law, does everything she's told not to do. Um, I'm going to give it a three. It was pretty exciting. There was lots of twists and turns. But I guess if a book gives you a reaction, that's good. I mean, I could have just read and been like, oh, what a snooze fest. So, yeah, I guess a three out of five stars because, yeah, it gave me a reaction. So, near-death experiences. We had four in this book. She was held at gunpoint in a jewelry store. She was almost ran off the road by Joe Crane. She was strangled in the record room at the country club. And lastly, she was tied up in a speeding car with an unconscious driver, bringing our grand total to 105. As for hookups, Bess is still on five, Ned and Nancy are on four, and George is on three. We didn't learn a whole bunch about River Heights in this book, but we did learn a lot about Mapleton. We learned that they have their own police station, their own country club. There's a jewelry store and a hardware store. It's a very similar town to River Heights. And just like River Heights, they have their own rich people area. And that wraps it up for this episode. If you'd like to email me, you can. Hello at nancydrewpodcast.com. You can follow me on Instagram. I don't really post there. It's like, I hate social media. (laughs) So yeah, email is best. Um, If you enjoyed the episode, feel free to leave a review on your podcast platform of choice. And I will see you all next time for episode 45, Scent of Danger. Bye, detective.